Welcome to It's Only A Game, where we've seen the price of rice inflate. I'll let you have your own theories as to why. Can only hope Arsenal sign Thomas Muller as well, but I suppose Ben White will have to do. Meanwhile, Man United are seemingly trying to pursue the most costly mounts in Stormy Daniels, allegedly. Now, come on, he doesn't listen to our fake news. Meanwhile, good luck to Liverpool staff printing in their shirts. I'm sure their fans are hungry for more midfielders, asking where for art thou, Romeo? Best Chilean from Stoke hops aboard the Yellow Submarine and it's Hey Jude in Madrid, Tonali to Toon Army, and of course a whole host of superstars saying Howdy Arabia in a joke so bad even Al Get Makota pulled out the race to sign me. Meanwhile, staying put, although willing to sell at the right price, we've got Matt, Greg and Dak. How are we doing, gents? That wasn't one of your best, I'll be honest. He's getting better, always. I think um, you're going well until we got to Howdy Arabia, then I think it's <laughs> dropped. Pretty oh, dramatically. Only had five minutes to write it. Cigarettes, that one, Jimmy. But uh, yeah, yeah not, a lot better than I would have done. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. But yeah, not not your finest. But you know what? We'll take it. It's been a busy day. It's been a busy day. Anyway, moving on from that, the real analysis now. Um, Dak, would you like to introduce our guest tonight, please, mate? Great pleasure. That I'd like to introduce um, Rovers legend, Rock Ferry legend, um, Alex Hay, former Tramir Russian Diamonds. Uh, Morecambe, trying to think of a knocked anyone else off. Banger, Rill, and of course Tamer Lerd's centre forward, Mr. Alex Hay. Good evening, Alex. Evening, lads. Let's knock the legend on the head. I don't mind Rock Ferry legend, but not 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 quite as strong a legend. The X player will do. That's fine by me. Well, X player is certainly uh, closer than any of us have ever got, um, despite some of our dreams. But yeah, uh, pleasure to have you on, Alex. Um, so just just obviously for the listener tonight, um, going to have a little bit of a chat to Alex in terms of his uh, playing career. Um, maybe touch on on kind of um, his his roles post playing. Obviously, um, went into a little bit of management uh, with Lerds and then a little bit of scouting as well, um, and then kind of looking at the minute obviously we're in closed season um all of our teams are, are posting all over social media a lot at the minute in terms of what's going on on the training ground and just kind of obviously things will have changed a little bit Alex since since you um have, have finished playing but just kind of what that looks like for a player um and, and your own kind of experiences so just to kind of start us off really um just a little synopsis really on the on your playing career if you could it was short no, only well, it was short enough. However, um, growing up, I was a massive Tramia fan. Um, I, I had a season ticket from a very young age. Um, I lived probably ten minute walk from the ground. Um, my dad took me and my brother from an early age, so I had a massive affinity with the club. Uh, I went through all the what we call the glory days under John King and some amazing Championship teams um, and some great players as well. So I was lucky enough to to be offered what's known as a scholarship now, but it was a, it was a YTS back then. Um, quite young. I was probably about in year 10 in school and Tramia had offered me a two-year YTS and a two-year pro, I think it was, at that age. Um, but at that, that sort of time in my life, I was flying everything I was doing. There was lots of, lots of clubs sniffing around me. Um, some of the bigger ones, Liverpool, Everton, Man City, um, I think Man United for a little bit. Um, Everton offered me uh, a pro deal as well. Um, and I went there, I went training with them a few times. Um, I had a meeting with their first team manager at that point, where they were trying, like, throwing everything at me, trying to persuade me. Um, and even there was a little bit of money, a little bit of money um, talked about. Um, but 
Tramia to me, they were a good championship side. Um, Warwick Rimmer was there and they had a, a, a sort of clear route into the first team because they used to get lots of players in. So to me, that was what was crying out to me. It was my dream to play for Tramia. Um, if I had to make the decision again, would I have thought about it differently? Possibly. Because um, I think what happens sometimes is even if you start at a, at a bigger club, you can drop down to the, to the sort of championships and league league one clubs from there so would I have thought about it differently possibly um, but I, I, I made my decision um, and it wasn't long till I was training with the first team at Tramia I think within the first month two months I was sort of promoted into the into the reserves then um, I think I played my first it was B team and A team then so I played my first B team game. Um, I scored, I think, two goals. I think it was against Wigan, um, and I was promoted into the A team. And the A team is different then because you'd get pros dropping down. So I think Alan Marm was playing in the A team then. I think John McGreal played in a game. Um, so I was playing with like good name players, um, and I start. I was just scoring for fun, um, and then I was promoted to the reserves probably about their third game of the season, which was was a massive deal for me, but. At that point, I had no fear. I had nothing, um, and I wasn't phased by it whatsoever. I was just like, let me in there because I know I'll score goals. Um, and I had a really good season. That I think in total, I scored probably over 40 goals that season for the youth team reserves, which is, which is a hell of a lot at a good level. It's when reserves was really strong. and um, We had a brilliant reserve team because we had a big squad. Um, and then I think if I had been thrown towards... The, the, the first team then, because I was training with them every day from, from early on, I think it, they've had a bigger influence on me because I had no fear. So if I'd have gone in then, it would have been totally different for me. Um, and as I got a bit older, that sort of fear took over a little bit. So it was more a fear of failure. Um, and I don't know whether, I only recognise that now more so because I'm older and I'm more experienced. But I think thinking back and looking at it, it had a big effect on me and that sort of fear of failure of letting people down because I was such a big Tramia fan. I didn't want to let the fans down. I didn't want to let family down. So I was going on the pitch and I was worried, more worried about making mistakes than actually trying something that could come off. And I think that had a really big effect. And I think once I'd gotten the first team, I didn't score anywhere near the amount of goals which I was probably capable of. And I think that was through fear. I was, I was scared to miss. Sometimes I was getting in positions and thinking, oh no, if the ball comes to me now and I miss, I'm going to look like a right idiot. And this is during games and it, it shouldn't happen like that. Um, and like some of the players there, we had some really big strikers at Tramia then and they they were all like away from it, like talking to Stuart Barlow, Sam and Alf. I was like probably the bit in training. I was probably one of the best finishers, if the best finisher there. It was like putting me in front of goal and I'll score. But anyway, near the first team, it just didn't happen. Um, and eventually I moved out wide, so which was fine by me because I learned another position um, and I enjoyed playing out wide. Um, without actually learning the position. So I think I came on a sub. I think, I'm sure it was Cardiff at home in the FA Cup or something and Ryan Taylor got injured. Um, and I was thrown on out wide and I did really well. So then I went on and run in the team and I was playing out wide. But it was great by me because I was playing. It's like, for me, I'd have played, I wouldn't have cared where I played. It was just so such a big deal for me to play for them. Um, and for me to score for, for the team I love is like, I still think about it every day. And now because I'm 40, coming on to 42, it feels like a totally different like dream and life that it actually never happened to me. Um, so it's just, it's just amazing. So as I said, I did what I dreamed of. Um, could things have been different? I think when I was 
I think it was under 16. So I, was, I was in the England squad, so it was probably in about the top 20 in the country. As I say, there was big clubs after me. So I had the potential to do a lot better than I did. Um, and that's me talking totally honestly now. I can talk about it. But I think the reasons why I didn't quite hit the potential that I should have was due to my mental strength and sort of resilience. I overthought everything. If I had a bad game, it'd kill me for days. I couldn't I couldn't get my head around it. And again that might be bare back to me caring too much, which is a is a it's a great thing. But sometimes with professional play you've got to have that blaseiness to just be like, oh well, I'll get on with it next time, who cares? And I just didn't have it in me. Um and now that's probably a strength because I want to get everything perfect. But as a footballer, I think you'll see the best ones who are just relaxed and they just play the game. And it's so naturally don't overthink anything to miss. So what? We'll go again and things like that. So I think it could have gone a lot better than it did. But I think what the hardest thing for me is, is sometimes, and I've had I've had big like mental breakdowns in the past and I've talked about that before. So it's not, it's not an issue to me now. I'm quite open to talk about it. But... Sometimes that the biggest pride in my life in terms of like my professional career, being able to play for Tramia and score for Tramia, is often my biggest embarrassment as well, if that makes sense. Because when I sort of embarrassed of how my career sort of went, where I feel it should have gone a lot better, and there's a, there's a little bit there, so I, I have fights with myself quite constantly about that. When it's, I, I'm proud of what I've done, I should be proud to play for Tramia. I played over 50 times for the first team. It's like not many people get to say that, especially the club they love. So it's a strange one for me, but on my good days, I actually love it. And I'll talk to any Tramia fan about it because it's just an amazing thing. Yeah, no, I mean, you've done our job for us there, Alex, in terms of... Um found it going into so much detail but I think I think some of the interesting points there I don't know about um, obviously the rest of the lads but for me I always obviously I was quite a bit younger when you, you kind of broke into the squads we're talking kind of 0102 ish it will take um, and even even being much younger you always struck me as being that very like honest player not saying that the rest of the squad wasn't but you could tell that you were that kind of like young lad breaking through and exactly what you've said like you you cared so much for the badge on the on the front of your shirt you know what I mean and you were worried about kind of the legacy that the name on the back would would leave behind um and I think almost being in that as, as you've said that like privileged position to play for your home club um you, you're almost then that you, you're kind of stuck between you know what what you need and want to do as a professional but then also kind of almost being a fan on the pitch and that as you're saying and it, it, all the other pressure that you know now you can kind of take that step back you've probably put upon yourself um as opposed to I, I mean I don't know behind the scenes obviously you know the pressure that, that that's on players but certainly from what you, you're kind of talking about that that's very much come from you so it's it's kind of interesting to to hear that because it, it's happened a few times at Rovers where as you say, like a you know a local lad, whether it be from the Wirral or Liverpool or whatever, and they come through, and you can see how much it means to them to get that chance, and you know all the ability in the world, as as you've said, you know you you, you knew that you had, um, and and thinking about factors like that sometimes in terms of actually what it is that maybe stops you from showing you your, your true kind of potential. Um, yeah, yeah I just think, a really interesting take. I think it's mental because I remember a couple of times from the older pros, especially in my first year or two years, would be like. You're working too hard, and I'm like, how can you work too hard? And I like because because you're doing so much chasing and closing down and working hard. When you get the ball, and 
you, we want you to turn and have a shot. You've worked so hard that it's, it's not. And I used to think, what are you talking about? How do you work too hard? But I get it. I sort of get it as you're older. So it's like using your energy in the right way and things like that. But as I said, I remember Aldo grabbing me. I think it was probably about three quarters of the way through um, my first season. I think we played Bolton Reserves away. Um and they had their first team goalkeeper, and they had a lot of first team players. And I came on a sub and I scored the winner. Um, it was at the Reebok Stadium, and obviously I hated Bolton, um, so it was like a big deal for me. Um, and he grabbed me after the game, and he said, "I want to put you in the first team for the last ten games of the season with player because I feel like you're ready." He said, "But I can't." He said, "There's too many players who are on big money, and." I just can't do it at the moment. getting pressured from above. And they were the little factors that I'm thinking, I'll oh, just throw me in because that could have spared me on to like never have any fear or anything. But it's the difference sometimes. And it, it, it's frustrating at times, but then you end up where you're meant to be. So you can you can kill yourself with all the regret and things like that. you just got to try and be as positive and a play for Tramia, a score for Tramia. So you've just got to be happy with that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, as you're saying about some of the, the kind of more senior players in the squad, I mean, just looking, uh, I'm not going to impress everyone to do this off the top of my head. I've got a list up, but like some of the, the strikers, certainly in, in terms of your position, I mean, we had the likes of Sean Thornton, obviously bags of, of ability. Obviously, there was quite a bit went on with him. Um, Stuart Barlow, I mean, absolute club legend. Simon Howarth, bags of ability. Um, obviously, Ian Hume, who we had on a couple of months ago. Andy Parkinson, pace to burn. Paul Rideout. Obviously, uh, dropping down from Everton, um, young Chris Dagnall, Eugene Daddy, you know, some of the, the names Chief. there that were in. Chief, Chief, was there Chief as well. yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, obviously a lot to, to be able to learn from and, and kind of be mentored by, but also very difficult to kind of, as you're saying, establish yourself and, and take those those chances as and when they came to you as well. Um, who, would you, who would you say then, Alex, in terms of whether it be attacking or not over the kind of, what was it, about four or five seasons you were at the club, something like that? Um, who would you say was your, the kind of best play, like most natural talent, however you want to put it, like the, the best kind of player in, in the squads that you played with? I think there's no, there's no doubt it's like Jason Kumas. I to say to everyone, I've never, like, I've, I've come against players when I was a bit younger and I've never seen so much natural ability to someone who can just turn it on so easily without even looking bothered and not be bothered if that makes sense he'd just be so blase about it but then he'd go and bin one and I'd be like have you just done that what, what, how does it work um, it's just he's just so good natural ability and again if he really looks at his sort of career he played in the Premier League played for Wales um, the type of lad Jace is did he love football probably probably not you know um, but he could have I think he could have easily fitted in a top top six Premier League team without doubt he had the talent too um, and it's just like he, he stands out a million miles I played with other players who went on to play really big things and play in, in, at big levels in the Premier League and things like that but he stands out a million miles just because of his natural ability he, he was that good um, and he was, a, he was a great lad as well I, I think my home debut was against Preston it was on September 11 2001 the day of the attacks um, and I went to pick Jace up. I think I'd come on sub away at Brentford on a Saturday for about 10, 15 minutes at the end of the game. Did all right. I wasn't expecting, to be honest with you, I wasn't expecting even to be sort of sub again. I was just going with it. So I picked Jace up and he'd broken one of their players' legs in a pre-season game or something like that. 
and loads of their fans were sending them loads of threats and stuff like that. So as we were quite like my car parking space may as well have been where I lived because it was that far away from the from the ground. So as you got more than the first team, we got closer to the ground, but mine was miles away. And Jace was like, just drop me off here because I'm going to get jumped by all the fans. I'm like, I'm not walking in on my own. And then he saw Nico. He said, let me walk in with Nico. Let me walk in with Nico. So I was like, all right, get out. So he shoved out the car. I parked miles away. It took me about 10 minutes to walk to the, get in the ground. And I think Dave Watson pulled me aside. and was like, you're playing. I was like, what? And he was like, you're starting tonight. You've done more than enough. This is your chance. Um, the TV there, there from the league above go and smash it like I know you can. So it was brilliant for me because I didn't have a chance to get nervous. So I just went out and played. Um, and it was great. I think we won 4-1 in the end. I didn't score. I missed two easy chances, which still bug me to this day. But I, I think I got one of the match in a couple of sweets and I played really well. Um, but I remember Jason about the 20th minute and he been, he took two people on and been one from about 25 yards and I'm jumping all over, I'm full of adrenaline, this is amazing, we've just scored, blah, blah, blah. And we're walking back to the centre circle, while everyone's still, while the music's playing at Brenton Park and things like that, and he's like, guess what? And I'm like, what? And he's like, in about another hour and a half, we'll be out. And I'm like, what? And he's like, we'll be out drinking about another hour and a half, isn't that amazing? I'm like, what is going on? Like, how can you think about that in the middle of the game, but that's him. And that's what, he, that's what he could do, I was against the Championship Club, and it was just amazing, but... He was that good. He was a, he was unbelievable talent. Um, I was lucky enough to play with him. Sorry, I, I couldn't get myself unmuted there. I was uh, completely engrossed in the story. Yeah, no, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I have the conversation with, with quite a few of the lads that I go to the game with, and I think, you know, obviously we've had our, our recent heroes in the club, you know, your Norwoods, your Tucks and so on. Um, but I think certainly in my lifetime, one of the most, as you say, naturally talented players and just being able to turn it on is... His ability on and off the ball was just sublime, and I think it was well documented. Um, trying to think who who he was under it. Um, was it Wigan? Was it Bobby? Can't think now. Um, and basically said like he had he had all the all the talent in the world and and could do anything. And I think I could be wrong. I think he came through certain levels at Liverpool at the same time as Gerard. I think, and Gerard in one of his books basically said like he couldn't get near him in training, but it was purely. Gerard's attitude, if that makes sense, that kind of not saying that Jason didn't have the attitude, but Gerard had to give a hundred percent, whereas you know Jason could kind of you know give give a little bit less kind of thing and and still kind of keep up. Um, but yeah, I mean, what what a what a player to to kind of come through. Um, and in terms of you know stereotypical, let's interview a footballer question. Um, who would you say was your kind of biggest? Um, like dressing room figures, so whether it be the funniest or the you know leadership, whatever way you want to go with it, it's like the the biggest biggest character that you played with. I think there's loads because I was there for quite a while, so I got to see ones come and go. To be honest, um, the biggest effect on my sort of playing career, obviously, Warwick Mimmon had a huge effect on me growing up, and he was still a man the club when I was there. I mean, he used to get so if you if you played like fifty appearances for the club, what I could get like a bit of a bonus if they'd come through the the youth levels. And I remember coming on the pitch for my fiftieth appearance, and I was so delighted just for him because I thought he deserves it more than anyone. Such a big effect. But a lot of the assistant managers sort of had an effect on me because they were managers could be hard to speak to at times. Um, depending on who the manager was but the assistants usually the ones who will put your arm around you will tell you where you stand and things like that a lot more on a day-to-day basis so I think Ned Kelly was when he came in as assistant manager 
um, was amazing for me because he built me up and he'd like especially when I was coming out I think that season when I made me more of a breakthrough into the first team so I was involved every week and I was coming on a sub or start whatever it was he was building me up the day before and training the day the morning of the game and he was making me feel a million dollars and had such a massive effect and he was like a hero of mine as well because when he arrived at Tramia and I actually saw him play for Newcastle all them years ago because my dad's a Geordie um, so he was I think when he was playing at the club I think here's a story for you so I was cleaning up um, the laundry that was part of my jobs at the end of the day as a first year pro or not a first year as a YTS so I was cleaning up the laundry and I was going through the water jackets and I opened one of the jackets and it was Ned's jacket and there was a water cash like a massive water cash I'm from Mock Ferry I'm from Birkenhead and I'm thinking what do I do here alright I didn't count it I didn't look at it but I, I had to have serious words with myself I'm being totally honest and I was like what, what do I do He's obviously left it in there. No one had noticed me. And I, for whatever reason, and I think it's good reasons, I've obviously been brought up upright in the end. But I legged it onto the first team coach because they were going away to an away game. And I said, Ned, I've just found this in your water, in your water jackets. Um, and he was like, oh my God, did you find it? I didn't even realise I lost it. And the what was massive. I was like, oh my God, I never let it out of my sight. So he come in, shouted me back on the coach, and he gave me two hundred and fifty quid out of it. He was just like, "There you go, that's for being honest." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" But I think when he came in as assistant, he was huge. He was massive, like really big influence on me. And I remember when he left as assistant, he banged around everyone, and I was absolutely devastated because I knew how much of an effect he had on me, how much he sort of mated me, and how much he, a lot of the time I was coming on a sub is because he was in May's ear saying, get Alex on, get Alex on, get Alex on. So he had such a massive effect, so I was gutted when he left. And before that, I think Mike Newell um, came in as reserve team manager on the Dave Watson for a bit. And I first got in the team, um, made me debut. I played the following week at Swindon away, and then I got food poisoning. Um, and I missed the next two games. But I think Stuart Barlow scored two hat-tricks in two games. So that was me, gone. So I was like, how do I get back in this now? It's like, I'm so far away from it. Um, so I went out on loan. I, I went to Morgan for a month, I think it was, just to get games and playing time. And I think I scored five goals in one game there. I think it was my second game there. I think I scored five goals. I newly had been there for, I think, a week. And I was still training with Trammy the odd day. And he watched me for 10 minutes on the training pitch, pulled me inside and said, you're doing this wrong. You need to change your angle when you're receiving the ball, blah, blah, blah. So I put it into play. Obviously, he'd won a Premier League. My my uh, hero was Alan Shearer. And he was like best mate with Alan Shearer. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And he pulled me after 10 minutes and he said, I'll get you back in the first team. He just listened to what I'm saying. And he did. He got me back in. Um, and it was from him being reserve team manager. So some of these players can have such a big effect. But I usually had a good relationship with all the older pros because I think they realised, one, I was a Trammy fan, but one, I gave everything I had. I'd always put the effort in. Um, I wasn't big time in any way. There was there was no side to me like that. So I think that the, the ones that sort of speak to you on their level, because sometimes you feel like there's a bit of elitistness. Like, I'm not going to talk to the young lads there, just the young lads, but... Um, all the older pros were brilliant with me. Uh, I still got a really good relationship with Kenny Hines, and he could be horrific when you're a young lad. My God, he could be hard, but it didn't half help. And he's got a heart of gold. It's just his front that you see. And if you'd ever had any sort of issues, like I could go to him now. I wouldn't have gone to him then. He scared the life out of me. But 
I think these these older pros can have such a big effect on the younger players. It's it's massive. It can be massive moving forward. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting what you're saying there in terms of always having the um, the rapport, obviously with the, the older players, and I think that's that's key. I think kind of looking um, to kind of flip away from your career for a minute, looking at the the squad that Rovers are trying to build this season, you can kind of maybe see where the likes of bringing the likes of Connor Jennings back and then having a couple of you know young and uh, unproven players, and you can kind of see maybe the balance last year wasn't quite there, and I think that's really important to. To uh, to kind of have that, um, so moving well, not, not so much moving away from your, your kind of playing career, because um, I'm sure you've got stories that you could dish there on a lot of people. Um, in terms of what an off season then for for a player, so you you know you've played played your last game of the season, um, obviously you know, hopefully a, a holiday or whatnot, but you know you you kind of see, and I suppose this is where we talk a lot about social media on here and and how fantastic it can be, but also how crippling it can be when you're in the public eye, um. And the whole kind of these players now were even at our level going over to Dubai and they're just training for four weeks. You know, they're by the pool and they're doing whatever, but they're still, you know, eating fish and steak and doing X, Y and Z. And they don't really seem to have a, a break. Was that something that was kind of coming in when you were playing or was it still very much, you know, two uh, masks trying to find the nearest boozer and, you know, everyone off to Benidorm for two weeks and, you know, that kind of what what we as, as fans would always kind of associate the, the off-season as being? Trying the off-season was amazing. All right, so we'd finish. It was still that, that time where it wasn't quite as fitness-based throughout the year. So everyone used to say, this is your best now. You've got to enjoy your best. And you've got to. It's been a hard season. Everyone's worked very hard. So you've got to enjoy it. To, to a point so after I think usually you'd finish on let's say the game is on a Saturday you'd probably go in on the Monday have a like final meeting everyone who's like discussing contracts or being released would either be, be released that day and they'd have all the meetings going on throughout the day um, and then it'd be holiday time really so we, we'd look to go away as a team it was Magaluf um, I probably went five years on the bounce to my little like, and the first year I went, I was like, oh my God, what is going on? Because it was like booze from as soon as you wake up to if you go to bed and then you're back again. And if you're not there again, you're fined. And it was like that for four or five days. Some lads would only go for two days, they'd fly back, or the lads would go for five or six days. I think a lot of the doormen from Birkenhead then used to come and look after us all as well. So they'd all be with us. Any barber. They'd sort it out. We'd get away with murder, but it was the times we had. Were, um, we had a we, had, we used to have a five side match on the beach, and it was Scousers versus like Whittle or the rest. And it was like some of the tackles going in. There was tackles coming in your head. There was all sorts. And I remember one year, I think Gary Jones scored the winner. Um, we'd all been drinking for about three days at this point, so there was no standard to it whatsoever. And I think they were all the Scousers, and it was all, they were all quite young Scousers, like Al Navarro, um, James. There was loads of them, and there was some of their mates. And on a, Gary Jones scored the win in the last second, so we're legging it up to the bar. They're all standing on the beach for 20 minutes going through, it's your fucking man, it's your fucking man, why didn't you pick him up, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, why, why are you saying it so serious? But it was, it was, we had some great times over there. 
most of it we probably couldn't talk about to be honest but that's what you do you go away for the first week with with the team um Weymouth Ice had been there a couple of times the first time I went it was all of them so Mickey Mellon was there Ned Kelly was there all these names were there and Magaluf with us and I was sort of looking at the circle and I couldn't believe I was on holiday with these players like it was just such an amazing feeling for me um and then you'd usually come back and then you'd have a quiet holiday with the missus or the family, whoever it may be. And then you'd slowly but surely get into it, get back into your fitness because you know what's coming. Um, and at Tram, yeah, you knew how horrendous it would be. So that that had always been niggling in your mind. But a lot of these videos, I get, I, I get it, but I take some of it with a pinch of salt as well because anyone can record a video for 10 minutes and say, look how hard I'm working and things like that. And I'm sure some of the markers, it's changed a lot. It's changed a lot where they have to be that fit, all right? And I was never comfortable enough as a first-team player that I thought I can go back as big as anything here and just get myself fit because I knew I had to come back and sort of show that I'd looked after myself because I wanted to stand out from the other players. That, in my mind, was always there. So I didn't want to put loads of weight on. Some players wouldn't do anything. They'd come back, they're fat, and then they get they are fit to get it all off, which is fine. But I think different players, different things. But I get why they do it now because social media is such a strong thing going on. And I'm sure players get abused for not doing fitness work and things like that. So they've constantly got to like be careful who's watching them and things like that. But back when I was playing, it wasn't so much like that. I sort of looked after myself a little bit more because I was never comfortable enough to feel like I can go back dead unfit because I needed to be ahead of the game sort of thing. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I suppose that's that's just kind of exactly as you say, that that's what social media will do nowadays. And, you know, naturally then people start comparing and, and so on when actually you don't know the, the reality of it at all. But in terms of um, kind of pre-season then at Rovers, um, I think, again, well-documented nationwide and almost worldwide with some things that I've, I've read, that Les Paris pre... And again, you know, looking looking now, it wouldn't really be the physio that would plan pre-season as much. I can as such. see it the be, anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> the call in these moments. For the, for the, uh, the audio listeners, uh, Alex yeah. is stretching off on his kitchen. Now, um... And ready to go again. He's like, it's well, it's well documented, isn't it? In terms of you know how horrific um, Les's pre seasons were for you, and I think that the, the the word just run, run, run is kind of what certainly from what I've heard snippets of and uh, Movama that kind of thing. Um, what what was pre season like in terms of we, we talk about obviously the, the friendlies and stuff in a, in a minute, but obviously those first couple of weeks back, uh, what what was it like for you? Horrific's probably the best word, to be honest, and I don't think that does it justice enough. Um, so in my first season, I've left school and the World Cup, it was France 98, um, and I remember watching, and I didn't know what pre-season was, I didn't have a clue, to be honest, I just turned up. So I think the YTs were in a couple of days early, so we did some tests and we did the bleep test and things like that, which is quite all right, and I thought I was relatively fit, I thought, yeah, it's all right, this. So then the first team and the pros come back. And we all run together them days. And that first day, I, I could not believe what was happening. I just, I, I couldn't understand that you could run till you're sick and then you run again. I, I didn't understand how that happened because I'd never ran that hard that yet you were going to be sick. But there was no getting around it. There was no hiding. There was nothing. It was planned so you'd do like one day in one, one place 
next day another place, next day another place, next flat, and then you do go again. Um, and it was literally, you didn't see a ball for the, probably the first two weeks. Um, and that's how, like, ruthless it was. Um, I think the first day, I think with the YTs, we'd been up Movam the day before, and that was a run-up, which was obviously really tough. Um, but the first day I remember, we went to... Um, Barnsendale Woods, okay, and Les Les's house sort of backed onto it then, and he used to take the injured lads there a lot with his dog and his dog and my man trying to bite you when you're running and things like that. But so he took us there and he did the other moots. So they take you on the moot to start with. I'm, I'm saying the moot's probably about a mile, but it's up steep hills, down hills, through jungles, everything. It's horrific anyway. Just just run it slowly. So you go on a quick lap there, and then he'd split it into groups. So you, I think we did a four-lap one, so four laps, then best, then a three, then a two, then a one. Now, that sounds easy, but it, it really wasn't easy. It was up and down hills, and then you do ten sprints up a hill, which is really steep incline, um, and it was probably about, I'd say, about 60 metres going up in total. You'd sprint up to the top, and you sprint down. Now, there was a lot of nerves involved as well because you're with the you're with the first team the pros so like I'm full of beans and I want to run ahead but then you've got people like Kenny Iron saying if you go past me I'll fucking kill you stay behind me then you've got John Aldridge the manager saying you fucking young lad should be at the front you should be doing this and you're like I don't know what to do I don't know what to do I don't know what to do so it was that horrific and that's without the running so you do the running you get through it and I remember that first day I did me 10 up the hill and I like to hide own feeling so I don't really give that much emotion away and I remember finishing it and people have been spewing after the first few laps and things like that and I remember I got through the hills and I took myself off in a bush behind everyone because I thought no one would see me yet and I started spewing and I just heard Kevin Sheedy and Aldo laughing their heads off, laughing their heads off at me. Ah, oh, you're spewing. We knew you'd get we knew you'd get you. And I was like, oh my god, how can this be funny? How can this be funny? So went to bed that night, got up in the morning and I couldn't get up, I couldn't move, I couldn't physically move. So I thought that must be the end of pre-season, we're done now, we're fit enough, we get the balls out, blah, blah. No, it's go again. So Barnsdale Woods was one, we did the track for two days where I think we did, I think it was I think something like 5 eight hundreds, four four hundreds, three two hundreds, and 2 100s then with like other runs in between. But it's at a pace, you've got to keep up with the pace or you'll get battered and you don't want to be last because that's where they'll start looking at you saying he's not fit enough, he's not this enough. So everything's assessed and everything's watched. As funny as it is, it's not funny. It's it's really not. And I saw the videos the other day, like, oh, lots of smiles in pre-season. I was thinking, fuck off. There's no smiles in our pre-season. You want to do one of our days? There was none of that. The nerves will be going through you. So that first time we did two days on the beach as well, where you do the sand hills and things like that. And um, we did the will away, and it'd be. Then you go again, so you do it all again for the second time. Um, as as the years left and Les sort of other managers came in, that got less and less. I think Dave Watson brought George Wilson in, who's a fitness coach, and everyone was buzzing with the preseason because it was all based on heart rates and things like that. Everyone was like, "Woohoo, this is amazing!" And when I signed for Russian and Diamonds, it was like preseason. It was like, "What? That's not even that's not even a money tram yet. You do more when you were injured." But that was the, their process. They did it all heart rates and blood pressure and all this type of thing. So it was totally different. But Les's one was horrific. And I know players who were going to sign for Tramby but turned it down because they didn't want to do the pre-season because that's how bad it was. 
But one thing it did get you was fit. And it gave you the sort of team spirit because everyone was in it together. It, it, it didn't matter. And I think that was one side of it, which was really good. It, it's hard, but it, it's a shared hardness. So everyone was going through it together. Um, and it did build a team spirit, however bad it was. And one thing for Les is you didn't want to get injured with him because you knew you're going to work harder being injured than you would do as a player. No matter what your injury is, you'd find a way to kill you off. That was it. So you wouldn't want to be injured. Um, and which is a real positive because I get now with the size of some of the squads, maybe not at Tramia's level, but some of them will just be like steady easy and not really trying. So they should work hard, you should work hard. And it can be just one of those times. And Les left me, we, we did a weight session. I think I was injured once and we did a weight session and I was on the, ch- uh, the bench press and I couldn't lift anymore. And the weight was there on me and it, it probably shouldn't be allowed now. He could have killed me, but I couldn't lift it. And he said, leave him. And I went, what? So everyone just leaves me with this on my chest for about 10 minutes. So I'm just lying there saying, help, help, help. And then he come back in after 10 minutes. He said, you need to lift more weights next time and things like that. But that's that was him. But you know what? It didn't half get you fit and that. And as, as horrible it was, and Wimbledon has just come on the last couple of days. And that was usually the sign because we'd be coming back around the stage of Wimbledon. And it's where you'd start feeling sick. And it, it I can't describe it. The only best way you can describe it is going back into school after the summer holidays, that anxious, nervous feeling. But you get that for about a week before you go pre-season training. It was horrific. But an experience that I'll I'll never do again, even with the marathon I did last year, it was nowhere near that pain that I've been through. But there were so many good memories from it as well. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it sounds obviously a a mixed bag, Alex, but... um... I think, as as you say, I think you all came out of it in the. In the I think Tyrone Laran is Tyrone Laran. We did the Whittle Way, and the Whittle Way is horrible because it's so straight, and you'll get people who will come back fit as anything, oh, no no simple. matter what they do. Some players will have to work really hard their fitness, where other players will eat and drink what they want, and I'll still batter everyone no matter what. It's just a natural fitness. So the Whittle Way is horrible because you can see people probably two miles ahead of you. Their head's bobbing up and down, and you're thinking, how am I going to get there now? Um, and I remember running it, and Tyrone ran, ran it as fast as he could, and people looking at him thinking, don't do that, mate, just relax a bit. Because as you get a bit older, you're a bit more experienced, you know how to play the game a little bit, and get like just think about it a little bit. But he was off trying to go, well, Tyrone was off on anything, wasn't he? like two-foot anything he needed to. And he was off, and the next minute, I've got to the end, and he's collapsed on the floor, like collapsed, like having a fit. So, like, everyone's going, what do we do? What do we do? So, I think someone legged it to a GP's thing. Yo, it was in it was in West Kirby. And was like, can someone come out? Someone's like, and Les is just like, he'll be all right. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's had an heart attack here. It could have happened. And he survived and got up and he was made to run again the next day. But he, he full-on collapsed. It was foam coming out of his mouth and everything. But that's how bad it was at times. Um, it's just an amazing experience. Horrendous, but amazing. Can I ask one question? Just one more question about pre-season, uh, and then and then we'll we'll kind of uh, move on to to kind of close. As I know you're tight on time. Um, now the player the player in question, I think, had only just sat, he'd only you know very early in his career, really, and well, certainly in terms of tramway career. Uh, Ian Brotherson with pre-seasons. What was what was he? What you know was he was he one of these that could just you know jump back off a plane and and was fit? And kind of just went into everything. Or... He just didn't care, honestly. It, yeah. it, so late. he'd be asleep. He'd be asleep before it, just nice and chilled in his dressing room, having a little kip. 
you get up, do what he's needed to, that's it. That was him. It was just so laid back, Larry. It was just like... And then I think sometimes he wouldn't turn up probably for the first 10 days because no one could get hold of him in Jamaica or whatever he was doing. But then he'd just stroll back in, play his first game, be a man of the match and then just stroll off as if nothing had happened. So that was him, like... Whereas some of the other players would like, Simon Alf used to play a clever game. So he'd be like, you do the bleep test sometimes on the first day and he'd be like, watch this. I'll be the first one dropping out. And I'm thinking, why are you being the first one? He said, because next time we do it in a few weeks, I won't have to do as much as anyone else. And that was him. So he, he found a little way around it and he used his head a lot. And Simon didn't care about the money. He was like, just give me a button, I'll put it in the net. And he could do that too, which was amazing. But it's just different players did different things. Others took it really serious. Um, other players just did it because they had to so it's, it's different horses for courses but Ian Goodison was just one of them just didn't care what was going on it was just like I'll deal with it and then I'll move on Yeah that was that was the answer I was thinking I was going to death to be honest <laughs> um, so just just a quick one then in terms of pre-seasons and then we'll move on to a couple of Woodgeradas and, 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 um, and call it a night there lads but um, in terms of so when when obviously Rovers pre-seasons were announced, um, talking probably about a month ago now, uh, in typical Tranmere fashion, a total Twitter meltdown. What kind of a pre-season do you call that? These games, this games. What's the point in doing this? Bloody blah, blah. Of people that, with all due respect, have never managed, have never played, have never whatever. In typical fan fashion on Twitter, but in terms of results of pre-season or the you know the teams in which you played in terms of building up to full match fitness. Would you say results in pre-season actually matter? Because it, it might, like from from when I and I, I don't know uh, your your view, lads as well. The seasons where we've been really successful, I can't actually remember us having anything like a deep decent pre-season. And I suppose what you're looking at from a fan's perspective, um, I mean, we had I'm trying to think of a lad's name now. Uh, James Allaby signed for us, and I think he stored seven or something at Camelheads. Ah, oh, great, he's going to be this, that, and the other. Yeah. And you know he did the James Allaby, you know. But that kind of you know what what I think I think as a fan you kind of you've probably missed your football. You're turning up. You're expecting things that you know we're gonna you know gonna piss the league this year. This that and the other. And then you know you're held at a two-two draw away at Heswell, or you know you play Wigan under twenty ones and can't get near the ball. That kind of thing. How important would you say then, like the results and things are as a player, or is it more about getting the minutes under your belt and trying different things and that kind of? I think. I think it's I think it's minutes and sharpness. I think that's that's all it is. And I think as you build, I think when I was playing, you play your bigger games towards the end of your preseason. So like, I think at Rushton we played. I think it was um, Vitesse from Holland. I think it was, and then we played Portsmouth, who were a Premier League club. So they were our, they were our last two games, um, and it's about building up to your to, to your peak. So you're reaching your peak at the end of it. I think it's more about players building a bit of confidence and getting minutes under the belt. Obviously, the results matter. I think we got beat. I think did we get beat six one or seven one by Man City and seven one by Birmingham. I think Dave Watson got the sack. I'm sure it was something like that in pre-season. So obviously, it can have an effect. Yeah, I think. It's changed a bit now because I think back in the day you played the bigger games, but you could get into them a little bit more. Whereas I think if teams like Tramia play a Premier League team now, they sort of stand off them and let them have the ball and then they can pass all day. I think so. It has changed, but personally, I think it's more about minutes because we used to play, we'd split the team in the first game and it'd be half a Vauxhall's, half a Camelheads. That's how it'd be. And it'd just be about getting minutes under your belt. 
um, and building for that first game of the season. Now, for players like strikers, it's important to start scoring goals because it gives you some confidence um, and things like that. For the younger players, it's important because you want to stand out and make an impression. Um, I think I, I think in my first pre-season, I think I was thrown on the bench and it was only, I think it was Skelmersdale away and it was a first-team fixture and I came on and scored and I think we had a really strong team out and I remember John McGreal grabbed me after the game and was like, you need to carry on doing exactly what you did there Cause, and to me that was great because that helped me stand out so they can be really important um, but all it's down to is, is fitness. If you go and win the first game of the season, no one's thinking about what happened last week. It, do, it doesn't happen like that. Um, I think the last one, be, I think I broke my nose. I was playing against Lairds in the first game and I think the keepers tried to punch the ball and punch me in the nose and broke my nose. And for the remaining of the pre-season, I had to wear a mask and it wasn't big, I was able to train but not necessarily play. So I was devastated because I thought this is going to cost me the, me place in the squad. Luckily enough, my mask came off with a week to go and I was so going to come on on the Saturday. I think we beat Brentford 4-0. That shows how far things have changed, isn't it? We beat Brentford 4-0 at home. My God, Brentford Brentford the Premier League now. So it just shows you. But I think as long as you win that first game of the season, pre-season doesn't matter as long as you feel fit enough to, to go on to the next thing. Is that the message from, from management as well? Are they saying, lads, this is all about sharpness, don't worry about the result? Or is that depending on the managers you've worked under? Um, I think it depends on the manager, but it's all about attitude. If you're if you're, if you're just strolling through it, you're not really trying, the manager's going to be annoyed and he's going to say, listen, you need to get better than that because it's not going to happen. Um, some managers were more about don't get injured, especially to the players who they know they're going to be playing at the start of the season. So he doesn't want to get them injured. They feel anything come off. So it depends on the position in the team and things like that. But obviously performances matter. And if you go and get beaten the first three or four pre-season games, whoever you're playing against, it brings on a bit of pressure, especially with sort of social media now, but the fans start looking at things in a different way and start getting on your back. So you need a couple of positive results in there just to keep everyone happy. But I think, as I've said, I think as long as you win that first game of the season, no one's bothered what's happened. Yeah, no, no, I entirely agree. I think um, I think Matt and I remember from when under Marco Silva, I haven't beat some Austrian side 22-0 pre-season, thinking, well, I think we're going to win the fucking lot here. <laughs> just smashed them. Was it? I was convinced. Whatever. I was convinced we were going to win it all, and I think we. I think he got sacked by November. So I mean, that's something that says a lot. Um, you know, I uh, think it. Yes, it would have been. I yeah. think. I think it, it can be great to go in with good, good momentum, but it, I, I worry just from the outside. Obviously, thinking can it breathe over confidence if you have a really good preseason against sides that maybe aren't quite at the level? I know it's about minutes. It's about you know application, about attitude, about you know putting the hard work, and as always. Um, but conversely, sometimes it's good to have that test in pre-season where, you know, so long as the games are tight, so long as you're not out of them, you know, the odd defeats are like the side, a division above you, is not the end of the world. It gets you prepared for, you know, the rough and tumble and the rigour of, you know, the regular league season. Sorry, gents, I was trying to find a couple of would you rathers. I was meant to meant to pencil a few pages before, but uh, I've definitely not bought a book. Uh, so just to finish off then, and we can edit that out, can't we, lads? Yeah. Yeah, professional yeah. like that. Right, so uh, nope, but you're uh, that's staying in. That's the job. <laughs> keep it in. You can keep it in. <laughs> Small fee. Right, so uh, just to round off then, Alex, because um, I know you're you're a busy man. I've got two would you rather's. Bearing in mind these are from a children's book, definitely not loaned from the uh, the school library at all. First one, 
Would you rather be popular with your manager? This is open to the, to the floor, by the way, so we'll, we'll go round. Would you rather be popular with your manager or popular with your teammates? Oh, tough one. I think your manager's going to pick you, aren't you? So you're not, your teammates don't pick you. So I think your manager picks you, but then I'd, I'd hate to be... That's a tough one. I don't know if I can answer it. Too hard. That's a difficult question. Um, yeah. Wow. Uh, manager. Fuck a teammate. Manager. <laughs> Brown knows well, it's big li- time. Literally. Oh, it depends. Yeah. Literally. No, no. Literally fucked the manager. Andrew, the manager no. is Matt. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, it's a tough one. Well, I would son, say... John, I should be up for that, lads. You want to keep the manager happy, don't you? Yeah. I think it's interesting because if you're popular with your teammates, do you then become part of the team dynamic and therefore the manager sees how well you work with the other team and therefore you become popular with the manager and maybe I'm being naive. Very, very deep. I know. Hey, <laughs> hey, you can you can tell I've worked in education you yourself. You can tell I've done a few management courses. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think if you're gonna have to pick one, I think obviously popularity with your manager because they pick you. But if you then put performances on the pitch, then you, your teammates probably like you more because you're performing well on the pitch professionally. I, I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I, I'm being naive. If I was gonna go, if I was gonna go to sleep at night, I'd rather my teammates like feel I was like an important part of the team. And it'd help me sleep yes. at night rather than everyone hates me, but the manager likes me. No, I'd be the thing. Is that more than ever? I mean, you're talking about manager sacking, isn't that kind of stuff? The term player power is huge these days. Is that, again, it's probably compared to when you were playing sort of when you're buried. These days, it really is a situation where it feels like players can get managers sacked quite easily compared to. I think players will. You, know, get you see a situation like Ronaldo. Players do yeah, get managers absolutely. sacked. I think they will get you the sack. Absolutely. I think eventually. And. I think you can tell when a change room starts to turn. You can tell because there's excuses being made all of a sudden and people aren't taking responsibility and things like that. So you can always tell when a, when a change room's on the turn and that's where the manager's got to stamp their authority and be like, no, it's not happening. And there is players who are really good, but the bad eggs and you don't want them in that dressing room because it can easily change very quickly. And that whole saying of like, one rotten tomato or whatever it is 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 can have a massive effect on a dressing room. If you've got a good strong dressing room who will be spec and work hard for each other, then the manager doesn't have to do much. Like I've been in dressing rooms where there's been fights, there's been murder going on, and that's before the managers come in and it's because everyone's self managing. And I think that's a real positive. Like you get it out the way and then you go on and play the game and then after that everyone's mates or they sorted out whatever it is. And all the best Trammy teams I played on that were like that and they just managed themselves. Um but there can be lots of splits and I think if it starts getting clicky and things like that with certain groups being mates and other mates, I think it can it can be a recipe for disaster. So I think managers have got to be really careful with players they sign. That's why the, the recruitment side of it's dead important. Not just how good the player is, but do they fit into that team environment and going to get like your due diligence done and finding out what they're like as people, what they're into, would they fit in this dressing room, why wouldn't they fit in the dressing room, things like that can have a massive effect. So I think all of that plays a, plays a big influence on everything. Makes total sense. Uh, slightly more light-hearted one to finish. Jimmy, you can't go too deep on this one. Well, he probably will. Would you rather... Oh, well. um, 
have to for the rest. Say, say we're all starting our playing for his off hypothetically. Injuries aside, I'm, I'm, I'm thirty, line, mate. The I'm works. still waiting. I'm thirty. <laughs> um, time is on my th- time is on my side. <laughs> time is on my side. He looks about so fifty, doesn't he, Alex? <laughs> and I'm still in my twenties, lads. I'm Sorry, flying. Man. I'm Am I offended? No, nah, probably not. It's been a rough <laughs> few weeks, lads. I was, I'm devastated because Adam Moy is just retired and he's like two months younger than me. It's absolutely devastating. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did see that one. Yeah, you can't yeah, wait to like, retire. It's time Jimmy. to call time with my career. Yeah, he's got like, time. Ian Henderson's still playing, isn't he? Is he 39? <laughs> I played 90 minutes at Prenton Park four years ago and came off three times. So that you tells go. you a lot about my fitness. Uh, right, so Maybe. would you rather... Play every game of football for the rest of your life in a pair of boots two sizes too small or in a pair of boots two sizes too big? Too big, I think. I can stuff, I'd say too big. stuff newspaper in them, possibly. Absolute toeies galore. <laughs> I'd go too, too small. Big. I used to always like tight boots, mate. So I'd go yeah. small, too big, I'd be like a clown. I'd just no good. I was no good with the yes. boots that fit in me anyway. See, lads, <laughs> see, Greg, that's why me and you did not make it. No, this is why. This is why. Because we didn't it. like tight boots. This that's is what it the was. one. I mean... Not the lack I... of ability, <laughs> fitness, yeah, everything yeah, else. Nothing about that. Nothing yeah. about that. I mean, no. if I got boots two sizes too small, it'd be a major cost-cutting exercise. I'd have to go to child sizes. That'd be sound. Um, but two two sizes too big. I mean, I'd be able to get on the end of Terry's. You know, my five foot two limbs would be able to get on the end of stuff. But uh, nah, I, I have to agree. Too small. I think too big. I just I just look ridiculous personally. Um, I get laughed at. Yeah, I'll be going yeah. too small. I just deal deal with the blisters, stretch them out a bit, and uh, be creative. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so sound. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just not play, <laughs> as I've found works quite well for me. As that, um, that's what <laughs> career is just not playing. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. from the sideline look a bit daft could have made it if we played pot. but no uh, just to <laughs> yeah uh, just to, to round up then uh, lads obviously I'd, I'd like to say a massive thanks to, to Alex for, for coming back on uh, I say coming back on I've preempted there my next question saying obviously if, if you would like to come back on uh, for a future episode then we'd, we'd love to have you and maybe talk yeah, down just, the kind of just give us a shout you know I'll, yeah, I, I'm good at chatting rubbish about Tram yeah so I love it. Not at all. It's not a problem. No. No. All right. It's been brilliant having you on, mate. All right. um, and Cheers, just boys. before we go, uh, Dreg, Dreg, obviously uh, you've got something that you'd like to, to say, Tanda, to dedicate tonight's podcast before we sign off. A more serious note, gents. Rochdale players have passed away at the weekend. Uh, Wayne Evans um, at, the, at the age of 51, which is heartbreaking, really. But yeah, just wanted to mention a quick quick minute or two about Wayne Evans. Great player for Rochdale. Um, used to always get stuck in. He was the no-nonsense just got straight stuck in. He was almost like a Dennis Irwin, something like that. Fantastic player, but unfortunately um, passed away of a heart attack over the weekend. But um, a few other Rochdale players have put um, tributes on on Facebook and Twitter. Ex ex Rochdale players, Joe Thompson, Gary Jones, quite a few other players. Um, just just wanted to dedicate something to him today, actually, because he was a great fella. Met him a few times. Just a bit of shock, really. But uh, yeah, just wanted to mention uh, we're all thinking about his family and friends at this uh, tough time as well. Cheers for that, Deck. Thank you. No, no problem. And I'm sure what you're saying there um, echoes echoes what we're all thinking. So um, thinking, obviously, of his, his family and, and people that he's left behind. Um, I think that wraps up our, our episode for tonight. Um, thank you very much again, Alex. Um, no problem. Cheers, boys. I'll also share out as well your, your coaching. Um, obviously, we can come back up and talk about it a little bit more. But um, I know you do some coaching with, with kids or one-to-one and small sessions. So we'll, uh, we'll share that out as well. Um, when the episode goes up but thank you
very much for joining us. Cheers, boys. And, uh, Cheers again. Thank you. Take it easy. Thanks, Thanks Alex. Cheers, Alex. Thank you. Thank you very much. Perfect.